This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. You're listening to the Faith 2020 Podcast, helping you see 2020 clearly through the lens of faith. Now here's your host, Michael Ware. This is the Faith 2020 Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Ware, and this episode uh, is is different. We uh, have a crossover episode featuring a conversation I had with someone I've admired for a very long time. So grateful to have this conversation. Excited to bring it uh, to you. I had the opportunity to talk with Miroslav Volf. Miroslav Volf is the Henry B. Wright Professor of Theology at Yale Divinity School. He's the founder and director of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. He was educated in his native Croatia, a beautiful country, very close to Italy, by the way. (laughs) He was educated in his native Croatia, the United States, and Germany, earning doctoral and postdoc degrees with highest honors from the University of Tübingen, Germany. I got to ask my wife how to pronounce that. He has written or edited more than 20 books, over 100 scholarly articles, and his work has been featured in the Washington Post, Christianity Today, Christian Century, Sojourners, and several other outlets, including NPR's Speaking of Faith, uh, which is now on being with Krista Tippett, uh, one of the most insightful, rich interview sort of format uh, shows that we've had in a long time. Uh, and Public Television's Religion and Ethics Newsweekly. Some of his most significant books include Exclusion and Embrace, A Theological Exploration of Identity, Otherness, and Reconciliation, A Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving, In a Culture Stripped of Grace, Allah, A Christian Response, A Public Faith, How Followers of Christ Should Serve the Common Good, Flourishing, Why We Need Religion in a Globalized World, and For the Life of the World, Theology That Makes a Difference, uh, his most recent book that he co-authored with Matthew Crossman. I, I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's intended to be, at least I intended it, to be a bit of a break from in the weeds, sort of, um, you know, horse race kind of talk and thought, let's pull out a bit. Uh, this election is in less than three weeks. We'll be doing at least a couple more episodes before the election. And don't worry, we'll we'll get into it. You'll you'll be prepared for election night. But in order to be prepared, you don't just need to know who's up and down in the polls and, and who's spending money where and that kind of thing. These are conversations that I think are really important. So here's my conversation with Miroslav Volf. I, I'm I'm so excited to be talking uh, with someone I've admired for a a long time. uh, And it's great to be in conversation, especially in this moment uh, in the life of the church and the life of the nation. Miroslav, uh, is is it okay if I uh, call you, I call you by your first name? It's uh, absolutely the the only possible thing you can, you can do and you should know admiration is mutual. I, I appreciate that. It's, it's so good to be with you. Your your work has been an inspiration to me in a number of ways. I wrote a book called Reclaiming Hope, and 
you've written on hope a great deal, and hopefully we'll get to that in our conversation. But you edited a volume called The Future of Hope, and I don't think I've had the opportunity to tell you uh, that was one of the most influential, you know, volumes as I was trying to work through hope and its implications for public. And so, I just want to thank you for for all that you've contributed to the public square and to my life personally. So, thank you. I w- would love to just ask you how you found yourself in this work. You know, we are, for a lot of reasons, culturally, socially, theologically, particularly evangelicalism in this country, can tend to be individualistic, personal, and yet you're someone who's brought evangelical thinking, Christian thinking, into public and applying it to public questions where where does that come from for, for for you? Why do you think that you've been drawn to to that work? Well, that's that's very interesting what you what you describe because um, my father was a Pentecostal minister, my father my grandfather was a Baptist minister, and lived in former Yugoslavia, and was very much a, a, a pietistic kind of uh, environment. Uh, and this is not uh, to disparage it in any ways because I, I was nurtured in in a very important ways in it. But certainly, we did not think in terms of uh, in terms of politics and political engagement, except that our entire life was lived under the uh, cloud of um, oppressive cloud of uh, a state uh, which we could influence in uh, absolutely no way. (laughs) So that you had this this situation of personal piety uh, under conditions of uh, political impotence. And there's always something uh, obviously grating uh, about uh, about that. Um, and then uh, I had the fortune, of, of course, to study uh, with Jürgen Moltmann. Um, and Jürgen hmm. Moltmann is um, uh, he describes himself as a political theologian. By the way, he he moved from uh, from very personalist uh, to much more political uh, yes. way of uh, thinking under influence of his uh, of his wife. And then for myself, I have uh, you know I've done a, 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 a done doctor dissertation that deals with economics and uh, and, and with political issues uh, as well but I have in most recent years then discovered how I uh, I, I I want to marry the two <laughs> kind mm. of the pietism and the kind of political engagement and I found that even the most I can put it this way even the most uh, intimate of my desires, I have discovered has have a political dimension. They have political horizon. Mm. Uh, They have economic horizon. Indeed, entire globalization processes have shaped and can refract themselves in my very desire. Mm. And so between my own steerings of my heart, as well as the largest global environment uh, one one can imagine, is where our lives is being uh, lived. And I think we've got to work on the inside side of the cup, hmm. but we've got to also work on the systems in which this cup, uh, so to speak, sits. Yes, a- absolutely. I, well, you know, my story is almost, uh, uh, is, is uh, uh, pretty reverse of yours. I was, <laughs> That's interesting. I was from Buffalo, New York, so the Rust Belt, and uh, I was uh, raised in a Catholic family, but religion wasn't too important to me growing up. I was interested in civics, though, and politics. Uh-huh. And I uh, I became a Christian after reading Romans when I was about 15. 
Wow, that's great. So uh, you've got to tell me a little bit of that story. What happened with Romans? Because I love Apostle Paul. He's my favorite uh, theologian. So, you know, obviously it's, it's a longer, a bit of a longer story. You know, my sister became a Christian a few years before I did. And so she had been working on me. There's a, there's a through line of, you know, I probably first heard the gospel through the, the black church and black music uh, because on the radio stations I'd listen to, uh, they'd play uh, R&B music, which I loved as a child. But then if you were listening on Sunday, it became a gospel station. Uh, and so I'd, hmm. I'd be hearing gospel music and preachers as I waited for, you know, R&B music to, came up, uh, to come on. Um, but uh, when I was about 15, uh, my sister dragged me to her uh, youth group and I, I didn't like it, but that's a whole other story. But on my way out of the youth group, uh, a, a volunteer was just handing out tracks of Romans, no commentary, no uh, nothing, uh, just just Paul's letter. Wow. And I took it home and read it and read it again. And, you know, I had been, you know, a pretty conventional sort of uh, pseudo uh, like intellectual. I had a pretty like pseudo intellectual sort of all oh, religion is a crutch. You know, there's no there there. You you can't read Romans. You could reject Paul's argument. You could reject what Paul lays out in Romans, but you can't read Romans and continue to say that there's no there there in the Christian faith. <laughs> you know, you can't you can't read through Romans and not have to at least. Uh, uh, look Jesus in the eye and either tell him yes or no. And that's, that's the experience. Uh, that's the experience that I had. I, I read Romans and, and got a sense of the full sweep of what, what God has done and is doing uh, in, in the world. And, uh, and it, it captured me. And so, so at that point I thought, well, everything needs to change. I probably need to go to seminary, become a pastor. You know, you just want to do the most Christian thing possible. And, and <laughs> thankfully, I had a pastor in my life who said, you know, Michael, if you look around, you know, uh, turns out not every Christian is a pastor. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought that was that was a good observation. And so, Miroslav, the, the vocational question that has guided my life from basically from that time uh, has been, you know, what does it mean to be faithful in public things? That question, that vocational drive put me in DC in school and uh, sent, sent me on a trajectory where, you know, I, I worked in, in politics and to some extent, you know, continue to work at the intersection of politics and culture and helping Christians navigate cultural and political landscape that is very complex as we'll uh, I'm sure talk about but the, but so so that's you know it, for me it was kind of politics first and then I became a Christian and thought uh thought well uh, you, you know that pro pro probably needs to change but but then I looked and saw look really looks like Jesus is 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 claiming lordship over all things you yeah and if you go back to to, to Paul uh, uh, read through certain certain eyes you discover him wow there there's a kind of this whole political dimension of his thought that is amazingly important absolutely absolutely so so that's uh, you know a bit of what's brought us you know both to to this point in our lives uh, I think. Mirsoff, you've helped so many Christians and the broader public think through the implications of of their faith for for public life. 
the dialogue around this question is changing, uh, especially over the last few years. But I know it's still a pressing question for many. Like, why should Christians even? Why should they care about politics? What what is there anything in the Christian faith that would motivate one to politics, or is it just a minefield that sort of Christians should try to avoid it at all costs? How have you thought about that that question? Well, it, it seemed to me that the a little bit prior question to that would be the question: um, Is there are there public goods? Um, mm. for which uh, Christians should be concerned. Um, mm. Is Christian faith uh, uh, something that um, uh, has to be thought as having a political dimension? And, you know, my mind immediately goes, uh, it has gone for some time to the teaching of Jesus, who at the center of which was the kingdom of God. Well, now, if kingdom is anything, it is a political concept. Yeah. Um, so that the, the whole idea of Messiah, of the reign uh, of God, uh, of God as a, uh, as a king already is a political concept. And I think uh, uh, behind that is a sense that the salvation is not the salvation of individual soul, although that it is uh, as well, uh, but, but rather something happens in the world. Um, in the book of Revelation, you have a new Jerusalem, a city, coming down from heaven and becomes this public reality, rather than each individual soul beholding the beauty of God and maybe lined mm. up like a chair, chairs uh, of people watching a beautiful sunset and that's the extent to which there's something common mm. uh, commonly human about it uh, so I take it Christian faith to be both concerned with, with with very materiality of our world and also as being something that um, that it has inherently uh, political dimension I would even say put it this way um, maybe that's that's uh, some people will think of it as heretical but I can't quite come into fullness of being who truly I am and God intends me to be without the entirety of the world relations being what they're supposed to be. That's why Hebrew prophets speak about the peace, which is shalom of the mm. whole realm that is, a, that is the salvation. And individual uh, and the whole community and the entire earth finds their salvation together. That, that, that tension is is sort of, as you're indicating, part of you know what drives us us to politics. Po politics is a yes. is a realm that is addressing these these questions. And you, you know, it's interesting you brought up sort of your your background uh, in, in Yugoslavia, and and I've always had the caveat. When I make the case for Christian political involvement, I'm speaking specifically in an American context and specifically in a context of sort of a representative form of government, uh, because I, I'm not I'm frankly not sure that there is a sort of uh, transcendent uh call for Christians to be invested in politics, no matter what the system of government, no matter the time or the place. And so it's, it's interesting you, you raise that. But in, in this country, um we we all hold a political office of of being citizens and we all we all have a responsibility that is sort of inherent 
to where God has placed us that we um, that isn't really a choice of whether we have it or not, but it's really about how we steward that that influence, how we steward that responsibility. I find myself drawn to politics because of that tension of knowing that things are not as God will have them, that there's injustice that is not in line with God's will, and that politics is not the only sort of forum for addressing those things, but uh, it certainly is one of them. And politics is something that not only sort of seeks to address injustice, but can can also, as you've alluded to in 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 the history of your life and your family's life, politics can perpetuate injustice in really profound ways. I find that many people don't think about politics that way, um, and it's understandable because, frankly, the 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 practice of politics, those who are elected officials, the way that politics is sort of discussed in media doesn't seem to focus on these discrete but important ends of politics, but to a whole other set of sort of uh, cultural and, and personal functions that, in my view, sort of detract from, again, the discrete but, but important sort of purpose of politics. How do we, how do you sort of navigate through these sort of various meanings and sort of uses for, you know, the realm of politics. Well, so, uh, so it seems to me that politics is, uh, is certain, uh, is one of the means. And that's what I've heard you, uh, you uh, say right now, mm-hmm. uh, if I heard you rightly, that, uh, that, that politics is one of the, um, one of the ways and means by which we can discharge, uh, our public responsibility. Yes, it's not the only one, but but certainly certainly very very important one because it has a significant impact, and not simply on our life, but uh, of life of all of our neighbors for for whom we should uh, we should care. And so, my sense has always uh, been, uh, and maybe that partly describes uh, both my passion for for it and and bit of a homelessness uh, in it. Because my sense was, I've got to keep the means and the ends together. That is to say, I want to achieve certain goods that are defined by the Christian faith, but I also have to achieve those goods uh, with means that are in sync with the, with the Christian faith. And uh, I, uh, unlike um, uh, at least some circles that I observe, which somehow think and at least act as if means are outside the scope of our responsibility, that hmm. is, or outside the scope of the content of the Christian Christian faith, I find the means extremely important, and that's what then shapes whether and in what way I might be involved uh, in, in politics. In addition, of course, to the particular calling that that I have. But yeah. uh, all of this is just to say we should think about ends which we need to achieve, and we should think about what are the best means to achieve them as well. Yeah. One sort of way that I've tried to describe how many American Christians in particular think about politics is you, you, you get the sense sometimes by the way people talk about it as if politics is sort of the one area of life that is sort of cordoned off, off from God. God can be trusted when it comes to uh, your, your finances, your personal relationships. But when it comes to, to politics, oh gosh, that's so, that's so dark, that's so complicated. 
there, there's so much going on there. Uh, does, does he really have anything trustworthy to offer there? There are all kinds of prudential sort of practical ideas I have about sort of what kind of policies I think Christians should support, sort of what Christian priorities should be. But really quickly, when you uh, sort of uh, investigate these this kind of intersection between faith and politics, really quickly, it becomes a discipleship issue. Really quickly, it becomes like a spiritual formation issue. And, and what I mean by that is, if you were a pastor and you were speaking with someone who was coming to you for spiritual guidance, and there was any area of their life in which they said, you know, I think Jesus would have me act this way, uh, but but I don't think that's the safe or appropriate way to go. Uh, you'd ide- you'd immediately identify that as a real problem, as as a as a problem of the integrity of the person as a follower of Jesus. Um, and those kinds of questions creep into our politics all the time. Now, just to be clear, I'm not suggesting there's sort of um, you know a one to one sort of application. I, I think the way that we apply our faith to politics is um, uh, complex and needs to be sensitive to, again, time and place and the, the circumstances we find ourselves in. Uh, but I do think there's this um, sort of uh, post-World War II notion that religious moral knowledge just cannot be trusted when it comes to public things. And that's infected not just our broader culture, but Christians themselves, <laughs> um, who, who uh, Dallas Willard calls this the, the disappearance of moral knowledge. Um, uh, and I think that that affects quite a bit of Christian political thinking, so, so, so that you end up in an environment where you have broad swaths of Christians who, who will sort of consciously accept things in politics that they would not accept in any other area of life, condone things in politics that they would not condone in, in any other area of life. Uh, does, d- does that sort of match up with some of, some of your, your reading for how, how, um, how, how Christians in, in, in this country are, are thinking about politics and, and approaching political engagement? Yeah, what was interesting to me in, in terms of how you how you diagnose this uh, and described it uh, is uh, a kind of uh, um, a de facto secularization of the public space in the course of uh, modernity kind of gets to be internalized by Christians mm. uh, so that they they uh, intentionally then leave their faith um outside of their either workplace or their uh, their political e- engagement and consider these two realms the private realm and the public realm yes. as kind of two separate uh, separate realms i obey the inner logic of political engagement when i am in politics i obey the inner logic of uh, economic uh, engagement when my when when i in the workplace and then i have my family and kind of private uh, private life mm-hmm. that that's Seems to me, uh, seems to me qu- quite right that there is a, and, and you see here again the kind of the influence of outside on how Christians perceive their own uh, responsibility. What struck me also it, with with some of this, especially with those who uh, maybe with slightly different sense think, oh, the politics is. It, 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 it's it's too contested. It's too dirty. You've yeah. got to, you've got to make compromises and so forth. So so the politics end up being this sinful world, 
and presumption is that the interior life and family uh, life is then uh, then somehow uh, somehow pure uh, and can be pure and is pure. Mm. Whereas if you observe, uh, I mean, it's very hard to say whether more violence happens in the living rooms or on battlefields. Mm. Uh, or, or in uh, in in the public uh, other public domains. Yeah. Uh, private domains can be extremely violent, which is to say sinful. Not to speak all other forms of sins. And so I come uh, more to this from uh, from a Luther side, yeah. which which uh, uh, deems every person always already as sinner and justified mm. so that in personal life, there's not this purity sphere that then uh, uh, can be preserved there. Uh, and then we can, uh, we can allow ourselves to let go in the, in, in the, poly, uh, in the public domains. So I, I think if we d- discover also that, that sin runs through the, through the middle of our hearts, it'll be easier to, uh, to, Kind of live in a situation, an ambiguous situation outside in the political realm, uh, realm as well, while we resist that trend that you described of almost like self secularization in public uh, sphere. I think you're right about this this related stream of, of Christians just viewing politics as 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 dirty and and an area rife with opportunities to compromise one's faith, and in a way that's. That, that's right. I mean, I, I, I can just, uh, there are all kinds of uh, sort of uh, uh, temptations uh, in, in political life as a citizen, certainly working in politics. Um, I think yeah, I was glad that you brought in the notion of vocation uh, and, and work because when people uh, sort of raise with me, the, the compromises and tensions in politics, I, I will often ask them what they do uh, for, for, <laughs> for work. And yeah. uh, one time I was speaking in New York and, and very similar, uh, uh, someone came up to me, said, you know, gosh, it seems like you, you held it together, but, uh, but how, how <laughs> did you do it being a Christian in government? And I, I asked what they did for a li- living and they said, oh, I'm on Wall Street. And, and I thought, well, that's a, that's a real conversation we could have. Um, how, how do you do what you do um, and maintain well, they, faithfulness? They, they seem to conveniently forget that greed is idolatry in the New Testament. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And so, um, and so I'm sure that that person faces all, all, all kinds of temptations that are both unique and universal at the same time. But yeah. um, you know, we're in the middle of a presidential election right now. And so this is something that comes up in the context of voting. Uh, in my experience, this idea that if you vote for a candidate, you're kind of on the hook for everything they are and everything they stand for and everything that they do in the future, sort of whether you know it or not. Um, and then, and then party identification, sort of if you, if you are registered as a member of a party that they, uh, that party sort of, uh, uh, owns your identity and and you are uh, you have to answer both to the public and and the suggestion is you know at the at the pearly gates so to speak you will have to answer for your party registration i, I don't mean to ask a rhetorical question here but uh, is that right at all and if so uh, in your in your point of view and and, and uh, you know uh, assess how Christians ought to be thinking about things like voting and party identification. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, I, somehow, I, I tend to distinguish between kind of normal times and, and the times that we live in now. <laughs> <laughs> in, this, in this regard, uh, uh, right now, because I mean, in the context of um, uh, of um, culture wars, as in the context of any any war, uh, fronts end up being very rigid and very hard, and so that as soon as you um, are not fully committed, uh, you are perceived as betraying the cause mm. because the cause is tenuous and the struggle is, is fierce and we don't quite know how it's going uh, to end up. Um, uh, you know, I've experienced that uh, in former Yugoslavia where I couldn't support the, the kind of nationalist uh, government exclusion and embrace was written and was seen as, oh, are you sitting between chairs? You can't do that r- uh, right, right now, even though it's an engaged uh, uh, text. Uh, and so, so my experience was, and I'm experiencing something of that in, in today's environment as well. You, uh, you are almost... Uh, expected to embrace with uh, f- uh, with full force uh, everything by by both of the b- both of the parties, um, and that that I find a difficult situation to, uh, in in which uh, people people find themselves. And I think we, we we've got to resist this sense that I am on the hook for everything if I choose uh, a, a particular party. Um, or, or vote for for a particular candidate, and I've tended always to think that that there are uh, there there are a host of whole series of moral issues um, that concern the vision of the kind of public uh, and common uh, life that we uh, ought to aspire to have together, and I that I have to vote uh, not uh, with regard to a, a single or a couple of issues, but that I have to vote in, uh, in the light of how all these issues uh, come, uh, come together, and while realizing that no party will necessarily cover the vision, moral vision, uh, be completely identical with the moral vision that I, that I embrace. And so mm-hmm. I, I take to heart this uh, this statement of uh, Karl Barth that Christians are unreliable allies. Hmm. Yeah. Allies. Yes, right? right. But 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 there's kind of unreliability. You can't count that I will do always what you need me to do in this particular uh, situation. <laughs> uh, and you, I think that you kind of have to live as a Christian in that setting and the people with whom you collaborate, that they kind of have to count on, on that. Uh, put differently, God is, politics is not my God or even yes. nation is not my, my God. There's a kind of ultimate seat of allegiance that might call into question subordinate allegiances. Yeah. No, no, that's right. That there's a, there's an, there's an integrity at play for Christians that doesn't have as it, it's it's metric sort of faithfulness to the cause or to right. the political party that that uh, we're we're unreliable allies in politics uh, because we're uh, hopefully pursuing uh, faithfulness that transcends those kinds of things. I, I think that's I think that's right. Uh, but at the same time, this faithfulness. For the, for the ultimate allegiance uh, to God does not exclude kind of differentiated uh, assessments and uh, uh, alignment with what on the whole we perceive uh, w- w- will be more aligned with 
God's intentions for the world. Yeah, and, and this is this is really key. I, I think in America, especially among young Christians, we're experiencing something of a resurgence of civic interest and involvement that, for many, I think are, originates from a, a sort of critique that uh, of their parents' generation that sort of the the political priorities and the political expression that had existed was not right. I think there's encouragement to be found in that. Mm-hmm. What I am concerned about is um, this sort of over-identification with Christianity with a particular political program. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis uh, has this es- essay uh, when he's uh, called Meditations on the Third Commandment, and he's, um, he's considering... Uh, the creation of a, a, a Christian political party in the UK has existed in, uh, in, in other countries in, in Western Europe uh, at the time. And he, he, he ends up uh, generally siding against it, but more importantly, offering the warning that even if it did exist, he says the temptation when you combine faith and politics is to claim God has said when he has not spoken. Mm-hmm. And, and Miroslav, you're, you're pointing out this tension between this imperative we have to bring our faith to to politics, but what our friend Jamie Smith refers to in um, his his uh, relatively new book uh, "Awaiting the King," something that I think is exactly right. He says our our politics should be tinged with a level of ambivalence, and, mm-hmm. and what I think he means by mm-hmm. that is, you know, there's an understanding that the translation work that we do from ultimate things to sort of prudential political. Uh, uh, decisions that we're imperfect translators and we could feel very convicted, convicted about sort of a particular policy instrument or a particular election. But we, as Christians, we just have to do our best to, I think in general, create enough space to not conflate, for instance, the, the words of the gospel, you know, the, 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 the truth of scripture with the same level of authority that, that we'd give to a, a political prescription. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm worried that, uh, I think that's always a concern uh, when it comes to mixing faith and politics. And I, I hope it's something that, that we can guard against because in the past, I, I don't think it's been guarded against uh, effectively. And, uh, and, and there have been repercussions to that. Yeah, no, I, I like the, I like this idea with with, with certain certain form a certain uh, level of ambivalence, um, holding the, the, the these convictions, even even uh, advocating for for convictions with a certain uh, um, provisionality, uh, yes. even if you want that. That's what this uh, what life in this world, in many regards, uh, is. And hopefully also this provisionality includes something like a willingness uh, to learn, to be corrected yeah. um, without necessarily compromising uh, the, the, the agency that, that is required. And I think, um, I mean, one of, the, one of the concerns that I have is uh, this conflation between, uh, between Christianity and nation mm-hmm. so, that, uh, so that then... Um, uh, the the service to the nation becomes almost identical with the service to God, uh, and and that's uh, deeply problematic. I mean, I, I'm really fond of this um, 
uh, statement of Nietzsche's um, that national God cannot be God for everybody, cannot be good God, mm. <laughs> cannot be forbearing and loving toward both friend and foe. Mm. Uh, right. Uh, so, so if you make uh, God, uh, if you win, make America Christian uh, nation and uh, align God's purposes with with Americans, with your vision of Americans' purposes, you're going to have a a uh, pretty pretty distorted ver- uh, vision of who God uh, is. Uh, you're not going to have a God of unconditional love. You're going to have a fierce deity. And I think consequence of that tomorrow is going to be that a lot of people are going to be, the, a lot of people who've been disappointed in a political project will be as well disappointed in God. And that's too bad because I think it's going to have a further secularizing effect. Well, so I should say that 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 concerns me too, and, and I am uh, in some ways, you know, all for uh, uh, aligning uh, the the nation with God's will. Uh, it, it, history suggests that even if the aim starts out that way, uh, all too quickly it becomes aligning God to to the nation's will and the nation's interests, uh, and that's right. that's uh, that's that's a dangerous dangerous place to be. I think God's gonna. I think God's gonna align the world with His will, uh, and and we, yeah. we, can, we can, in a broken way, participate. Uh, That's right. But when God is made guardian of social order, atheism becomes condition of social change. Someone said, and I think that's right. Hmm. Miroslav, I, I think that many people, including young people, but I think this is a, a wide, uh, widely felt sort of feeling that politics is is placing too much of a burden on people's lives. You know, I've, I've said that politics is causing spiritual harm in people's lives and in, in, in Americans' lives. And a big reason for that is that Americans are going to politics to get spiritual and emotional needs met. And politics is not fit to bear those burdens, but politicians will attempt to at least be perceived as meeting some of those needs if, if, if that's what we go to politics looking for. And there is just this this tension that many Americans feel when it comes to politics. Uh, you know, this this idea of political homelessness has become really common, uh, and people identifying as politically homeless. And, and I think there's something sort of worthwhile there. But but what I've said is that the 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 crisis for Christians is not that we're politically homeless, but that we ever thought we could make a home in politics at all. Oh, that's that, that's a perfect way to put it. I, I love I love that way of uh, of putting it. Yeah, talk, so talk about how how do we deal with the tension of 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 life, Mira? Right. So I, mm-hmm. I mean, I just think it's so important to mm-hmm. like th- these tensions are not unique to politics. <laughs> like it, we 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 need to, in my view, you know, we need to identify this as a subset of of discipleship questions, you know, but when it comes to politics, you know, how do, how do folks deal with the tension as Christians without sort of, as we've discussed, sort of um, provoking either withdrawal or these sort of rationalizations in which people end up eventually sort of giving themselves over to the, to the gods of, 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 of politics. I'm just wondering, I'm thinking aloud uh, now, because it's such an important uh, and, and, and almost viscerally felt question. And I think it's felt uh, viscerally because people see that something really important is at stake. But on the other hand, they feel 
either impotent or where they get uh, when they get involved uh, it's kind of not fully them they're not uh, at home they're kind of homeless yes. even yeah. in this endeavor and i was i'm i'm wondering whether whether that homelessness uh, as you said um uh, we shouldn't expect uh, to be at home in in politics it's kind of a roll up your sleeves and if you uh and and do sometimes uh, work that is very hard that is not uh in it in its immediate it's terribly rewarding and you're doing it maybe with somebody who you not do not necessarily uh, agree with but you're doing it not because you feel at home there you do because you're trying to make uh this country or, or the, your town a home uh that is worthy of everybody's dignity mm. and so it yes, seems yes. to me like take a shovel uh, and and shovel that uh that stuff <laughs> right? Right. right you're going right, to get right. palaces you're going to go and then uh if you have a place to 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 be at home to be at one with yourself to be at one with the community uh, that that's a great place to be and maybe churches can be that maybe families can be that uh, but if you if we think of political spaces uh, of engagement as such, m- maybe we are set ourselves uh, for disappointment, or maybe maybe when I expect that, and sometimes I do, maybe I have to tell myself I, I just need to grow up mm. a little bit. Mm. Everything isn't home. Yes, 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 yes. But and, you know, when I think about uh, home, you know, I th- I think about security, mm. uh, and so let let's maybe close with with, with joy. Um, and I've, I've talked about this before, so I'll just sort of set it up and then would love to, um, and, and you know, there's, and there's a reason, you know, why, why I talk about this before, cause I just think it's absolutely central. Um, so, so, um, I mentioned Willard before and, and I do that often. Dallas Willard is someone who's, who's very influential in my life. And, uh, uh, he, he defines joy as a pervasive and constant sense of well being. Uh, and Miroslav, I, for the last five, six years at, at my events, I've, I've asked folks, you know, how many of you would describe our politics as being full of a pervasive and constant sense of well-being? Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, it's an absolute laugh line. But, yeah. but I, I think we need to ask ourselves why that is. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to ask ourselves why it, it, it seems laughable that even in the sort of, uh, even in the temp- uh, sort of the the, the 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 tidal waves and the throes of politics, that Christians might be able to bring to politics a sense of joy with them that perseveres and actually actually provides the foundation and the background for their political engagement. Um, that they get that pervasive and constant sense of well-being from outside of politics. And so therefore, when they engage in politics, they're not looking for that ultimate security. Um, do, do you think joy uh, can, can be a resource for where sort of Christian political engagement needs to go? And, and, um, and, and what other sort of distinctly Christian resources you know, to close are on your mind and heart right now when you think about um, what is what is available for for Christians in public life? Well, I think you you earlier mentioned uh, also hope as uh, one of those um, uh, Christian um, 
virtues, stances uh, that we have. And, and I, I think I would put the hope and joy joy together. We, we I, I think uh, any form of engagement, life itself requires hope. Um, it requires hope sometimes against hope, as Apostle Paul uh, says. Uh, even when things look that they're going all the wrong wrong way, even when mm. we know that tomorrow weather, political weather, is going to be bad, forecasts are, uh, are such, <laughs> we still have hope. How does one have that kind of a hope, a hope that is against uh, circumstances? And I think that's a, that's a key uh, to to the Christian understanding uh, of hope. And I think our hope is not in the certain course of events or even in our ability to control a certain course of events, but our hope is ultimately in the possibility of something new because God is present and God mm. is active uh, in the world. And to me, that ties it, that, that's tied to the, to the question of joy. You're right that it's very difficult, certainly in political engagements, but in generally in our lives, to have this kind of sustained uh, joy. What I find that people often have a hard time rejoicing even in uh, a kind of particular things and stay for a while in joy. And one of the reasons mm. for it is that um, uh, we're terribly perfectionist society. <laughs> Modernity is, is perfectionism, uh, one way to, to, to express it. But for perfectionists can never rejoice, right? Right, 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 right. Because joy says, ah, oh, this is great. This is good enough, right? And I can <laughs> breathe and I can dance. Wow, something incredible has happened, right? It's great. It's very good. That's when some great joy happens. But when ordinary joys happen, ah, Fantastic. I can stay with it, right? Yeah. And I think it's this sense of both appreciating what is and rejoicing in it, and then hoping for the impossible and holding mm. this tension between joy and hope, or letting two inform each other one mm. which is about the goodness of present and the other one which is about goodness of the future. I think if we have these two virtues, uh, it's going to uh, it's going to propel us, uh, and it's going to uh, free us from fear, and we'll be active on behalf of the good that God is doing in the world. Yes, yeah, I, I think that's a wonderful place to end. Uh, Miroslav, can't thank you enough for this conversation. That really, speaking of joy, it's it's been a joy uh, talking with you, and and thank you for for your work, and excited to share this with folks. Thank you very much also for your work, for the years of work that you've done and that you continue to do. You've been, you've been so great in the forefront of political activism and presence and thinking through the issues. So thank you. That means a lot. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, what an inspiring man he is. Uh, and so grateful for this partnership. Uh, with the Yale Center for Faith and Culture, uh, for with Miroslav's podcast for the life of the world, just a, a real joy to be able to to do that. Also, like to give a shout out to Evan Rosa, who works for the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. Evan's been a longtime friend. Uh, he is really the person who made this happen, and so shout out to you, Evan. All right. Uh, by the time this this uh, this runs, we'll just be over two weeks um, from the election. 
Uh, like I said in uh, in the intro to this episode, we're going to do more episodes before the election. You'll be prepared. You'll be ready to go. Uh, but I hope this conversation put you in a good frame of mind for what we're all about to encounter over the next couple of weeks. Hey, this is Michael Ware. You've been listening to the Faith 2020 podcast. Thanks for joining. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series, Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com CT.